Good evening, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh. I'm one of the clergy here at St. Nick's, and it is good to be with you this evening, carrying on our sermon series on Stand Firm, looking at the spiritual battle that we face as believers, how we're to fight that battle, what are the tools that God has given to us as his church, which enable us to stand in that battle. To do this, we've been looking at a passage Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, and what it has to say to us today. So do grab your Bible, your phone, uh, or turn your eyes to the screen, and we're going to read that together now. Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and keep always praying for the Lord's people. Pray for me also that whenever I speak, words may be given to me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So over the last few weeks, we've looked at how this battle is real and ongoing. Paul reminds us that there is a struggle going on and that that struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities and powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We've looked at how we as a church, we've got to walk that line between not ignoring that struggle not dismissing the battle and being unaware of it, but also not over-egging it, not being fearful of the enemy and seeing attack around every corner. We need to remain in the victory of Jesus. Remember that Jesus has won. Jesus is winning. Jesus will win. But the battle goes on. That cold you've got is maybe not a spiritual attack. But the fact that you lose your temper and fight with your family or your flatmates just before you have the opportunity to share the gospel with a friend, maybe that is. There is a battle that is ongoing. And we've been looking together at the tools God has given to his church to engage in that battle. Paul writes this passage to encourage the church in Ephesus in the battle that they're facing And as Paul writes it, he's facing his own battle. He's under house arrest. He's chained to a Roman guard. That guard, because of all the civil unrest that the Romans constantly dealt with, is probably sat there in his full armor, kitted out for a fight. And so Paul picks up this analogy of putting on the armor of God. 
And Paul's encouragement is to put on the full armor of God. Because we need all the armor of God, not just our favorite piece. You know, if you're heading out into battle, fully kitted up from the neck down, but you forgot your helmet, you're probably going to die. As a biker, I can confirm that it is the one part of your body that you don't properly cover up that you're probably going to leave on the tarmac. Last week, Matt looked at the breastplate and the belt, which I definitely catch up on if you missed it. And this evening, we're going to carry on looking at that armor and those tools, focusing on three main bits. Verse 16 to 17 said, In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. So the shield. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Faith, the most powerful force in the universe. Jesus said, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Faith is a powerful thing. Faith in Jesus in who he is, and in what he's done for you. But what's that got to do with a shield? How do we take up the shield of faith? Last week, when Matt asked us if there were any armor experts in the house, nobody put their hand up, did they? And so nor did I, because I didn't want to look like a nerd. But I will confess that 10-year-old Josh Bradshaw quite the armor expert. I think there's some photographic evidence of my expertise. See, as a child, I was a real history nerd. And if I'm being honest with you, I still am. I've just styled it out a bit more. And uh, there are a few things about shields that are quite interesting when paired with faith. Shields can, in fact, be offensive. You know that little round ball in the middle of a shield? Anyone know what that's called? No, it's called a shield boss or an umbo. And it's actually there for offense. It's a part that you can either use to thrust forward and break your opponent's sword or, you know, give them a little bop with it. Shields are offensive as well as defensive. And faith is offensive as well as defensive. We need faith in Jesus and all that he has accomplished through his life, his death, his resurrection, to get out there, to believe that God can do miracles, to see him do amazing things, to take ground in the battle in our city, to see Jesus take ground in the lives of our friends, our families, our colleagues. Faith in who Jesus is and what he's done is offensive. Faith is powerful. And in the offensive, it reclaims ground from the enemy. But faith is also primarily defensive. So a shield is also primarily defensive. It protects you. Our passage says the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And what are these arrows? They're those thoughts, aren't they? You can't do this. Who do you think you are? You're a hypocrite. You're too messed up for God to love you. 
You haven't been forgiven. You haven't got what it takes to do anything for God because you don't look like X. God has abandoned you. The gospel applies to everyone except you. Faith is defensive. Faith protects us from doubt and it protects us from the lies of the enemy. And guys, this is where it gets super exciting slash historically nerdy. And I've got a prop to help me, right? Matt laid the prop gauntlet last week with a kind of quite budget Roman outfit, I'd say. It wasn't really movie quality, was it? So I thought I would escalate things slightly on the prop game. Guys, this is my police riot shield. (laughs) So cool, isn't it? I was like, when I knew I was doing this talk, I was straight on the phone. Mum, is my police riot shield still in the loft? Yes. Can you deliver it this week? Thanks, Mum. Legend. Pretty cool, right? I'll be answering no questions at this time as to how this came into my possession. It's pretty epic, though, right? If you were out with this bad boy... I reckon you could be fairly confident that nothing is happening to your front, right? I'm quite tall. There's no way nothing's coming over. It's pretty great. I know. It's so cool. It's deflected many a firework in its time. Um, But, I mean, you could maybe be confident that you could hold off like a room. You could block a door. No one could get around the door. It would be all right. But I would also say if you were out on your own with this, It's probably like relatively vulnerable from the side or the back or over the top. You know, I wouldn't be that confident on my own. And this is where, I'm actually going to put this down because it's super heavy. Um, This is where it's actually super important that it's a Roman centurion that Paul is looking at as he writes this. Because the Romans invented this military tactic called the testudo. It means tortoise shell formation. As I've said, a soldier alone with a shield like that is pretty vulnerable. But the Romans invented this thing, you can see a photo of it on the screen, where each shield locked into the shield next to it. It's even, it was so effective and it was classed as the thing that enabled the Romans to conquer the world. So effective, it's still in play today. This shield is literally a copy of that. See this groove on the end on either side? It's designed to fit into the one next to it so that they interlock with one another. Plutarch, the Roman historian, who I'm sure you're all very familiar with, describes this in uh, this formation in used by Mark Antony and his army in the invasion of Parthia in 36 BC. He says this, Then the shield bearers wheeled around, enclosed around the light troops, dropped to one knee, held their shields out as a defensive barrier, interlocked with one another. The men behind them then held their shields over their heads of the first rank, while the third rank did the same thing for the second rank. The resulting shape, which is a remarkable sight, looks very much like a roof with walls and is the surest protection against arrows and spears which simply glance off it. Paul is sat looking at a Roman shield with a clip and a groove on the side to lock into the shield next to it. As he writes, take up the shield of faith. God never intended you to fight your battles on your own. 
the pastor and author Rick Warren uh, said, if you're being defeated in your spiritual battles, it's probably because you've not let anyone in to help you. Jesus didn't give the world a bunch of lone rangers who he saved and then plopped alone into enemy territory. He gave the world the church. Hebrews 10 says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. All the more as you see the day approaching, all the more as the battle rages on. Look around you. This is your testudo. When your shield of faith is dropping, you are covered by the shield on your right and the shield on your left and the one being held over your head. God never intended for you to fight your battles on your own. The church gives you accountability. It gives you encouragement. It gives you structure. It celebrates with you. It points you back to Jesus when you're lost. It recalibrates you, challenges you, champions you, and carries you when you can't find the words or the energy. This is your testudo. As I was preparing this, I was reminded of a time when I was in church, even though I really didn't want to be. I was sat with a weight of grief and pain, and I really didn't want to be there. And then the band got up, and they started singing the goodness of God. You know, all my life you have been faithful. And I was like, you have got to be joking me. I can't sing that right now. I know it's true. I've tasted and seen of the goodness of God. I know it's true. But in this battle, in this moment, I don't feel it and I can't say it. And actually, I had to leave in the end because there was a guy next to me, lovely guy called Brian. Problem was, Brian was American. So he was next to me and he was like, oh, Lord, you are so faithful. You are so good. You've always been kind and faithful. There's never been a moment, any second of any day when you haven't been kind and faithful to me. And I thought, if I don't get out of here, I'm going to lay Brian out. (laughs) So I had to leave. And then later that day, uh, a mate of mine came to see me, and he'd been in there, and he knew what was going on with me. And he sat with me, and he said he knew exactly what it felt like to not be able to sing those words, and how hard it must have been for me to be in there that morning. And then he told me about the most painful thing that had ever happened to him and his wife. It was truly heartbreaking to hear. We'd never talked about it before. It was heartbreaking. And he talked to me about the depth of that pain and the journey that he'd been on grappling with that pain. And he told me that he still didn't understand why that had happened to his wife and that he realized that he never would. But that he believed that God is faithful. And he believed that there had never been a time in his life when God hadn't been faithful to him. And through tears and gritted teeth, I agreed with him because through him and his faith and his testimony, I was able to declare the goodness of God. That is the church. Through blood, sweat and tears, the fellowship of this community, the faith of this community carries you when you can't find the words and points you back to Jesus. When your shield drops, they cover you. 
Make this community the community of faith. And that's what we mean when we're talking about the church. We're not talking about this building. We're talking about the community of faith. Make it a priority. Be here week in, week out. Gather together in homes, in hubs, in prayer trios, around dinner tables. Fight your battles and the great battle together. Get real with one another. With the ways that the enemy attacks you and tempts you, confess your weaknesses and your failings to one another and see them robbed of their power. The enemy loves secrecy, right? That's where he can spin you lies that drive a wedge between you and Jesus. Be real with one another in the community of faith. Let your brothers and sisters in Jesus tell you his truth and see it set you free. Share your weaknesses and your pain. And let the community of faith encourage you, spur you on, point you back to Jesus when you're lost, recalibrate you, challenge you, champion you, carry you, and remind you of the truth when the enemy tells you lies. This is your testudo. Pray with one another. Prayer builds faith. The church prays with you. Prayer is the barometer of dependence, right? In your battles, if you're depending on God, you'll be praying. If you're depending on yourself, you won't be. Let the community of faith, the church, pray with you in the battle. Stand with you in prayer in the battle. Ephesians 6:18 says, prayer is essential in this warfare. Pray hard, pray long, pray together. Benefit from one another's walk with Jesus. God never intended you to fight your battles on your own. We are all in this battle together, and we are here to build one another up and one another's faith. Look down your row. You need these people because they teach you something about Jesus that you wouldn't know without them. And they point you back to him and carry you when all you can see is that battle. Take up the shield of faith, shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield with the community of faith. Okay, number two, the helmet of salvation. In 2015, I had a fairly epic motorbike accident whilst I was traveling through Vietnam with some of my mates. I know it's horrifically gap year. You can rib me about it later. I was going too fast around a bend on a dodgy bit of road. The bike slid out under me. And not being the wise, mature, and fully formed person that I am now, to my great shame, I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt. I had ignored the golden rule, dress for the slide, not the ride. That's from Proverbs 8. <laughs> and my shorts and t-shirt vanished the second that I made contact with the road. And my knee bone and my elbow bone made a sudden appearance. It was deeply unpleasant. But for all my stupidity about what I was wearing, I was wearing a helmet. And when I took it off, I was extremely grateful that I was, because as I took it off, all down one side, where I'd slid about 15 meters down the road, it was completely worn away. There was about a centimeter of just polystyrene left. Without that helmet, that would have been my head. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. Put on the full armor of God. Take your stand. Don't neglect any of it. But at the very least, protect your head. 
the helmet of salvation. Remember your salvation. Remember who Jesus is and what he's done for you, what he says about you. Remember the simple gospel. You can't graduate from it. Remember what God has done for you. 1 John 5, 4-5 says this, Every God-born person conquers the world's ways. The conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our faith. The person who wins out over the world's ways, who wins in the battle, is simply the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Never forget the power of the simple gospel. In your battles, in the battle, never forget who Jesus is, who he says you are, and what he's done for you. How easy is it to get apathetic about the gospel? How easy is it to forget where you would be were it not for the grace of Jesus? I recently realized that it been, it's now been 10 years since I fully surrendered my life to Jesus. And had this moment at a similar time to I made that realization where I spent an evening with some of my oldest friends. None of them know Jesus. And over the course of an evening, it was a long night. They kept me awake all night. It was very hard with a one-year-old to stay awake for a full 24 hours. Um, but over the course of that evening, I had this realization, well, that they're so lost. Through the stuff that they were putting in their body to the conversations they were having about how they feel about their life, how they feel about the relationships they're in, how they feel about the purpose of being alive, they are so lost. And it was so painful to hear. And I remember when Hannah and Amos came to pick me up, I got in the car and I felt really emotional. And I thought, you know, it's because my heart is broken for my friends that don't know Jesus. They're so lost. And it's not their fault, they just need Jesus. But also there was this other bit, and I, I actually burst into tears at this realization moment of how thankful I am to Jesus. Because if he hadn't stepped into my life 10 years ago at 4 a.m., that is exactly where I'd be. I'd be just as lost, probably more lost. And it wasn't like a woe is me, I'm such a worm without Jesus, I'd be an absolute wrong one. It wasn't that kind of moment. It was more of this moment of realization of all Jesus has done for me. All that he has done in my life. How he reached in, how he saved me, how he sorted me out. <laughs> and how good he is, how every gift in my life that is good, all of it comes from him. It's so easy, isn't it, to think, oh, I'm just growing up, I'm getting more mature, I'm getting more moral, I'm following the right woke Instagram channels and that's changing my life. It's not true. It's all because of Jesus. And you know what? I find it so easy to take all that stuff for granted, all that God has done for me in his death and resurrection, but also in the daily ways that he's making me more of the man he made me to be. We need to remember the power of the gospel and never graduate from it. I never want to not be astounded that, as Paul writes later on, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All the goodness in life, all the gifts in life, all the beauty in life, all of this I live through faith in the simple yet mind-blowing truth that the God of the whole cosmos loves me and surrendered himself for me. His name is Jesus.
When all else fails, protect your head. When all else fails, remember that Jesus loves you and he gave himself for you. Daily, put on and rejoice in the helmet of your salvation. No matter the storm, no matter the season, no matter the time that's passed since you first heard it, no matter the battle, daily put on and rejoice in the helmet of your salvation. Put on the helmet of salvation. Finally, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Don't panic. I've not got a prop for this one. I didn't much fancy being arrested walking down Redcliffe Street on my way in this morning. And actually, the squad car that stopped to stare at me was already relatively interested in why I had a police-issue riot shield. So the sword would have probably pushed it over the edge. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In this battle, we need the Word of God recorded in the Bible. No soldier would go into battle without their sword. In fact, another nerdy fact about the Romans, they actually drastically shortened the average length of sword in their era and made it much lighter so that their troops could get used to carrying it all the time. No one would go into battle without their sword. Yet how often do we go into battle every day in the world? Go into the spiritual battle in our work, in our uni, in our gym, in our flat, in our home, every day without our sword, which is the Word of God. And I'm not talking about carrying a physical Bible. It only becomes a weapon when it goes from being a book that you own to something in your mind that you study, that you dwell on, that you chew on, that you absorb, that you memorize. And it becomes your reference point for how you interpret the world around you, not the other way around. Those arrows we talked about earlier, they're everywhere and they're pretty relentless, right? You have to be beautiful, powerful, strong, successful, free, whatever that is supposed to mean. You have to be fun. You have to be interesting. You have to be wealthy. You have to be intelligent. How do we combat the lies if we don't know the truth. You fight the lie with the truth. And where do we find the truth? In the Word. Let's look at Jesus. In Matthew 4, 1 to 11, Jesus is alone in the wilderness and the enemy comes to Jesus to tempt him. Have you ever noticed that, by the way, side point, that it's when you're alone that the enemy comes to tempt you the most? It's when you're there with your one shield that the enemy comes to tempt you. We need this to pseudo. We need this community. But so here, Jesus is alone, and the enemy comes to tempt him. And each time the enemy tempts Jesus with something, with a lie or a half-baked truth, Jesus responds with the words of Scripture, with the truth. He silences the enemy, and the enemy moves on. So Jesus is hungry, and the enemy says, Go on, turn these stones into bread. Break your fast. Take your eyes off of seeking God and seek to fulfill your bodily needs instead. And Jesus responds with the words of Deuteronomy. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The enemy backs off and then comes back with another temptation. He says, if you are the son of God. How often do you feel tempted like that? You're not really who God says you are. 
You're not really chosen. You're not really special to God. The enemy loves to doubt your identity in God. If you're the son of God. And Jesus responds with the truth of scripture again from Psalm 91. He says, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. The enemy says, God doesn't really care about you. And Jesus says, yes, he does. This is the truth of the scripture. And Jesus doubles down with his second bit of Deuteronomy. He says, it's also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And the enemy retreats. And he comes back a third time. He says, worship me instead. And I'll give you all the good things in this world. Abandon God. You're missing out. You're missing out. Look at all this stuff in the world for you to enjoy. Look, all that glitters is gold. Turn away from God and you can have it all. And Jesus responds with Deuteronomy 6. Away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the interaction ends. Then the enemy left him. Each time the enemy's weapons of lies and corruptions of truth come against him, he responds with the truth, the words of Scripture, and he finds strength there. Dwell in the Bible. Don't rely on other people to tell you what it says. Get stuck into it. Keep your sword sharp. Get to know it. Chew it over. Digest it. Let it become your go-to for where you find truth. And let it shape the way you interpret the world. Grapple with the hard bits. Every two weeks, I get this hilarious notification on my phone that Ruth, one of our congregation, has texted me. And I laugh every time I see it because I know it's going to be some really weirdly obscure Bible question. So when I was writing this talk on Wednesday, I saw that Ruth had texted me and I laughed and I looked at it and it said, In Ezekiel 4... What's going on when it's talking about people eating each other? And, you know, it makes me laugh every time because I know I'm going to have to, like, get some big tome out off the shelf and try and work out how to respond to this text from Ruth, you know? But I love that because Ruth is grappling with the hard bits. She's not waiting for someone else to teach her. She's getting stuck in. And she's saying, what is that about? I need to know because I trust that Jesus is good. So this bit of the Bible must make sense somehow. I love it. Grapple with the hard bits that you don't understand. Grapple with the bits that make you mad or angry. Do that in community and fellowship. Learn from the slashes in someone else's shield. This is your testudo. Digest it. Spend time soaking up the truth. And when the lies come at you, respond with the truth of the word. One of my other very nerdy hobbies... You'll be glad to know I'm racking out a full old man contingent of old man hobbies. I love history, and I love woodworking. And, uh, and once I, I made these oak mirrors for one of my friends. And uh, the woodworking was exceptional, by the way, in case you're wondering. But um, the main point was that my friend struggled around her self-image. The way she saw herself in the mirror, and when she saw herself in the mirror, she heard the lies of the world. And they are lies. So on these mirrors, we put the truth of the word. One of them, there was three of them. One of them said, you are God's treasured possession. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I have called you by name. You are mine. 
I don't know what it is for you. Well, maybe it's when you look in the mirror, you hear the lies of the world. I wonder where it is for you that the battle feels the hottest. Where you come up against the opposition of the enemy and the lies the most that you need the truth. What are those things you could do? Maybe it's a post-it note on your mirror. Maybe it's a specific verse that speaks into a situation that you find hard over and over again. Maybe you need to memorize a verse that relates to that and bring that up in those moments. You know, I wasted so much time thinking that memory verses were for kids. It's so stupid. There is power in knowing a verse off the top of your head that when something happens, you can retort that verse. I remember once I was having a really hard time uh, with sleep and feeling uh, a real struggle in and around it. And uh, my mentor, a guy from my testudo, um, he just gave me a scrap of paper and he was like, put this on your bedside table. And it just had Psalm 4-8 on it. It says, I will lie down and sleep for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. You know, and when those lies came in the middle of the night, bam, there is the truth. What steps could you take this week to dwell in the word and see its truth set you free from the lies that we all face? Take up the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. So in this battle, make full use of the armor that God has given to you, his church. He's given it to you. Take it up. Take up the shield of faith, shoulder to shoulder with the community of faith. Put on the helmet of salvation as you rejoice in the profound power of the truth that Jesus loves you and gave himself for you. And take up the sword of his word, which he gives to you freely. Learn it. Dwell on it. Digest it. And when you hear those whispered lies of the enemy come, rebuff them with the truth and see that truth set you free. Why don't we pray? Should we stand? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have won. We thank you that you have won, that you are winning, and in the end you will win. Thank you that we can have faith and trust in your victory. And Lord, we thank you that as we go through this battle, as the battle goes on, Lord, you have given us every good gift that we need. You give us the armor. And all you say to us is to put it on. Lord, we thank you for your life-giving spirit. We pray when we feel weak, where we feel worn down by the battle, where we feel armorless, Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to come now. Lord, we ask you to put people around us who will champion us in the fight. We thank you that we stand with our shield of faith in a row of others, covered by the side and the top. We thank you for your church, Lord. And we pray that you would give us the courage and the strength to be real with one another, to be vulnerable with one another. And Lord, we pray you'd give us the humility to be carried by others when we are weak and to carry others when we are strong in you. 
And Lord, we thank you for the helmet of salvation. We thank you for the power of your gospel. We thank you for what you have done in our lives. And we invite you to remind each one of us of the lengths that you have gone to and will always go to to bring us home. We thank you that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And Lord, would you set us alight with a love for your word? We ask that your word would dwell in our hearts. We invite you to change the way we see the world around us, Lord. We ask that it would be your truth through which we see the world. And Lord, we pray that as we dwell in your word, we would find strength and comfort there. Lord, we ask you to meet with each one of us now. And where our armor is feeling thin, would you strengthen it with your Holy Spirit? Amen.